The CBF podcast is presented to you by Fuller Seminary. Fuller Seminary's MA in Theology and Ministry offers a practice-focused theological education. Study online or on campus and learn from Fuller's seasoned scholar practitioners and apply what you're learning to your own context. Whatever your ministry goals, Fuller Seminary's MA in Theology and Ministry will help you take the next step in your vocation. For more information, visit fuller.edu backslash M-A-T-M degree. That's fuller.edu backslash M-A-T-M degree. Since 2016, CBF has brought you over 100 episodes of interviews with authors and practitioners for conversations that matter. These stories of creativity and innovation have garnered weekly support from around the United States and the world. We are inviting you, the listeners, to join us in connecting with the podcast. Become a monthly listener supporter and receive some perks, including name recognition on the podcast, questions for upcoming guests, free books from the podcast, joining the podcast for an interview, and a VIP experience with the General Assembly podcast guest. There are five levels of listener support starting at $5 per month. For less than the cost of a pumpkin spice latte, you will be featured by name on the weekly podcast episode. For more information and to join the community of listener supporters, visit cbf.net slash podcast support. This is the Cooperative Baptist Fellowship's Conversations. We are bringing you stories from across the fellowship through interviews with people doing groundbreaking work and renewing God's world. Ideas, stories, and innovation from ministers, authors, and practitioners from across the fellowship and beyond. This is Andy Hale. 2020 is off to a great start for the CBF podcast with guests like Father Thomas Reese, Soon Cheng Ra, and Casey Van Norman. We also have a lot of exciting episodes ahead, including interviews with Eugene Cho, Sarah Bessie, and our week in D.C. at Advocacy in Action. Don't forget that you can be a part of supporting the podcast while receiving some great benefits, such as joining an interview with an upcoming guest, books from authors interviewed, and a VIP experience at this summer's General Assembly. We want to thank William Johnson and Cindy Folendorf for their monthly support of the podcast. Check out how you can support at cbf.net backslash podcast support. And now, on to our conversation. Our guest for this week's CBF podcast conversation is Jeffrey Monroe. Jeff is the Executive Vice President of Western Theological Seminary. He's also a former member of the advisory board of the Beekner Institute of Faith and Culture. He has a new book out, Reading Beekner. Jeff, thanks for joining the conversation. Thanks, Andy. It's great to be with you today. Now, before we get to your work at Western, and certainly before we start talking about Beekner, um, tell us a little bit more about you. Well, I am, uh, I'm a, I'm a, I like to say I'm middle-aged, and my dad says, really, you're going to live to be 122? Uh, a middle-aged guy is what I think of myself as, father, husband, uh, been a long-time pastor in the Reformed Church in America, although I actually have never served in a congregation. I worked for Young Life for 29 years. And then for the last eight years, have been at Western Theological Seminary. Now, um, you know, obviously we're going to talk about the book, but you've done um, a good bit of writing on other authors. Tell us about some of your work. Well, I write pretty regularly. I write on a blog 
called The Twelve, which is a blog for the Reform Journal. So I'm uh, every few weeks, I have a new entry that's on there. I also write real regularly for a, a ministry called Words of Hope, which is associated with the Reformed Church in America. And I do sets of devotionals for them on a real regular basis. And then I also write poems. Um, and I just actually had a poem accepted by Christian Century Magazine. It hasn't been published yet, but hopefully in the, the next few weeks or so, they will publish it. Uh, I signed a contract with them for that. And then I've had a number of poems. This is what makes me truly ecumenical is I'm the only guy in the world that writes for the Reform Journal and also have had a number of poems published by U.S. Catholic Magazine. And I'm quite proud of that and actually have a poem coming out with them in April. So I'm kind of eclectic in my uh, in my interest and in the things that I write for. Mm. Now, uh, the word reformed is a buzzword for some people and probably an unfamiliar term for some of our listeners. So what do you mean Maybe. by reformed? That's a great question. Uh, what, what we mean, <laughs> what I would say, what the seminary where I work at, what we mean by it is that we have an emphasis on the sovereignty of God. And our theological tradition is a tradition that really uh, goes through John Calvin in the, in the Reformation. We are proudly Calvinists. John Calvin was a genius and uh, one of the greatest theologians and greatest thinkers of all time. We like to describe ourselves as generously Reformed, uh, thinking of that as, a, um, as an inclusive rather than exclusive. I know that there are some expressions of uh, reformed faith that kind of get a little bit exclusive at times. We don't think of ourselves that way. Um, we are, uh, as a seminary, Western Theological Seminary, we define ourselves saying that we're reformed, evangelical, ecumenical. We also use the word egalitarian. We embrace and have embraced for a long time uh, women and ministry roles and women in leadership as well. So we are uh, on the theological spectrum probably. Uh, trying to hold on to a place in the middle, which is a very difficult thing to do right now because everything pushes us in one direction or another. I'm sure everybody listening to this is aware of the deep polarization going on, but we're still kind of fighting for that middle space. Well, one thing can be said about Calvin um, as he was not short-winded uh, in any of his writing. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's a great, that'd be a great contrast to Frederick Beekner, who is concise. In yeah. The that he writes. <laughs> you know, church history class where we were assigned to read several volumes of Calvin and it was like, oh gosh, why couldn't he have said all of this in um, a few words or less? Yeah. Um, yeah now, and then, uh, well, I'll tell you though, knowledge itself, it depended on knowledge of God, knowledge of God, dependent on knowledge of self. That's Calvin's Institutes 1.1. That's great stuff, Andy. So, so you got, that's a nugget right there that you could take with you. That's not, there's nothing long winded about that. If only I had that information way back when. Uh, yeah. Now you are also the executive vice president of Western Theological Seminary, right across the lake from Chicago and right down the road from Kalamazoo, one of my favorite name towns in the world. Um, I'm not too familiar with Western. Um, so tell me and the audience a little bit more about your school. 
Yeah, thanks. It's a great school, and we we are in Holland, Michigan, which is a beautiful town. We are uh, on Lake Michigan, and our school isn't technically on the lake. We're a few miles away from the lake, but Holland is built on the lake. Um, we've got a great faculty. We've got some real all-stars on our faculty. I'll throw some names out. Uh, Jay Todd Billings, Todd's a great theologian, uh, reformed theologian, and very popular author. Chuck DeGroat. Chuck's got a really important book that's coming out in a few weeks um, called When Narcissism Comes to Church. Uh, Kristen Johnson is our dean. Uh, she wrote a book a couple of years ago that was a award winner on uh, the Christianity Today book awards uh, called The Justice Calling. Um, Han Concert Comline is a, is a young theologian, but a real star that's coming. So we've got a great faculty. Um, great students. We do online learning. We do in-residence learning. We've got lots of different creative options. So thanks for letting me say a word about it. It's a great school. Now, what exactly is is your role at Western? So my title as executive vice president is kind of a fancy uh, way of saying I raise a lot of money and I'm involved in uh, supervising the development department and working as one of the development officers. I also am um, involved with all of our communications, um, you know, all the PR stuff, marketing stuff that we do, and then I'm involved with our human resources, uh, some different operational things, and then and then really I like if you remember the show West Wing, how the guy would always say. I serve at the pleasure of the president. Well, I serve at the pleasure of the president, whatever the president wants to do. So he will uh, regularly give me um, different um, projects that he wants me to work on, different things that we need to look at. So I do a little bit of everything, which I'm probably one of those guys that uh, would get bored if I had to do the same thing all the time. So I love it. I would say uh, using that phrase nowadays might be a little bit more loaded than, than other times. Yeah, so, I didn't yeah. mean it that way. <laughs> I'm talking about President Josiah Bartlett, the greatest president <laughs> in any of our memories. Uh, now you have a new book out, uh, Reading Beekner, Exploring the Work of a Master Memoirist, Novelist, Theologian, and Preacher. You wrote, I write primarily for those unfamiliar with the author. I consider the greatest spiritual writer of our times. I'm not a literary scholar and won't pretend to offer academic analysis. Instead, I offer an invitation and a spirit of love and admiration. I know that you've literally written an entire book about him, but why do you admire Frederick Buechner so much? Yeah, there, there are a lot of reasons I could talk about. Um, I'll just say a few things. Uh, one is, he is, if there was a Mount Rushmore of spiritual writers, he, he needs to be on it uh, with whoever else you would put on that, Wendell Berry or Marilyn Robinson or Kathleen Norris or uh, C.S. Lewis or Henry Nowen or whoever it is. Beekner really belongs there. He is the only ordained minister nominated for our most prestigious literary awards. He was nominated for a Pulitzer Prize in fiction. Uh, he was also nominated for a National Book Award in fiction. And that just doesn't happen. The literary world is very, very suspicious of people that are ordained. Um, so he's a great writer, great novelist, uh, but he's also written these memoirs where he 
writes with just unflinching honesty about his own life, about his family, about his family of origin, his difficult childhood. And they have become great guides for so many people, myself included, of what it means to live faithfully as a Christian and how we make sense of our lives, especially the trauma in our lives. Beekner's life was touched by great trauma when Beekner was 10 years old. His father committed suicide in the family garage. So that's become the great pain in his life that he's become a, a steward of. You know, another great writer, and I, I saw this quote recently and I thought, boy, I wish I'd had this quote when I was writing the book because I would have included it in the book. But Richard Rohr has this great line of, uh, if we don't transform our pain, we're, we are bound to transmit it. And Beekner, Beekner uses the phrase, the stewardship of pain, but it's the same thing. What do we do with these terrible things that happen to us? And then he's a great friend uh, to pastors. He's probably quoted as often as anybody in, in sermons. Um, he's written these little books, I call them popular theology. I don't know if that's a phrase I invented or not, but uh, pop theology. He, he, he studied under heavyweight theologians. He went to Union Theological Seminary in the 1950s in its heyday when Reinhold Niebuhr and Paul Tillich and Robert McAfee Brown and others were on the faculty there. So he studied these great, great thinkers, but he is able to dispense uh, theological knowledge in ways that ordinary people can understand and grasp the mystery and be invited into the, the mysteries of the Christian faith. And then he's a great preacher. So all those things uh, pop into my mind uh, quickly, and there's probably two dozen more that I could talk about, but that, that's a few right off the top of my head. This podcast is presented to you by the Center for Congregational Health. At the Center, we believe God has called and empowered congregations to change the world. For 25 years, Center consultants, coaches, and educators have been supporting congregations, clergy, and lay leaders as they meet the ongoing challenges of congregational life, including training ministers to manage transition, helping congregations work through polarizing conflict, coaching clergy to discover and utilize their gifts for ministry, and assisting congregations in discerning God's call to future missions and ministry. Center consultants and coaches don't dispense expert advice. Instead, they recognize the uniqueness of each congregation and work to create the space needed for God's people to discern and follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. Please visit our website, healthychurch.org, to learn more about the center and find the help you need in order to thrive in missions and ministry. Now, I'm saddened by the thought of someone listening to this podcast um, that has never read, nevertheless heard of Frederick. So for those yes. that don't know or have not read, tell us who Frederick Buechner is. Yeah. So he was, uh, he's still alive. He's born uh, in the 1920s. He's 93 years old, lives in Vermont. He wrote uh, his first novel when he was uh, still a, uh, a senior at Princeton University, and it was published in 1950. It was called A Long Day's Dying, and it became a bestseller. His most recent book, his two most recent books were published in 2017, so there's a over 60-year writing career. He was a novelist first, uh, then was converted later as an adult to the Christian faith then went to seminary, 
um, served as a school minister for a number of years and then just became a full-time writer. So he's written in several genres, uh, so many different books, about 40 in, in all, uh, although some of the later ones have become kind of greatest hits collections. So there's not, he hasn't written any new material or published, I should say, any new material since uh, 2008. But just a, a great writer and a great friend to, um, to pastors and to people of faith, that's for sure. Now, if someone were only able to read one work um, of Frederick's, which one should it be and why? Hmm. That's a really hard question because I want to know who that person is. <laughs> try to try to figure out what they might like. As a novelist, his, in my opinion, his greatest novel is the book Godric. That's the one that was runner-up for the Pulitzer Prize. Uh, was published in the early 1980s. Uh, it is a biography of a 12th century saint, historical fiction, I guess you would call it, because it's uh, a true person, a true figure, which either takes the little known pieces of the person's life and recreates a, a whole life uh, and an amazing life. Uh, it's a really great book. Um, yet at the same time, I've had lots of Christians that have said to me over the years, I don't really get his novels. I don't get into his novels. So for many people, the memoirs have become uh, the great entry point. And maybe out of the, there's at least four memoirs in the book. I say there's, I, I define four of them as kind of essential memoirs, but there's probably seven books that are strongly memoir-ish. But all those, maybe the book Telling Secrets, stands the tallest. It's a really powerful book. It, uh, it, was made, it was his third memoir. It became possible for him to write after his mother's death. Uh, so he really explores things in his family of origin. And then in his own family, he had a, he had a daughter in her late adolescence, early adulthood, who was uh, anorexic and had to be hospitalized, almost died. Uh, so there's a lot of pain and introspection that goes on with that. Then maybe I would also, if this person is a preacher, I would want to tell him to read the book, Telling the Truth, the Gospel is Comedy, Tragedy, Fairy Tale. That's the first one I read. That was my entry into Beaker. And he, he, it's just a tremendous, tremendous book about the act of preaching. But not just for preachers, it's for anybody that's interested in the gospel and uh, how we communicate it. Now, in doing a little research, um, just into my sermon uh, manuscripts over the last year alone, okay, um, I did a little research and I found that I quoted Frederick Buechner over 50 times. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, you quoted Philip Yancey in the book uh, when he said, I have a hunch, in fact, that Beekner has become the most quoted living writer among Christians of influence. What, what do you think makes Beekner so quotable? Well, I want to turn the question around on you, Andy, and say, why are you doing that so much? Why are you quoting him so much? But I'll tell you what I think. One is that he approaches things with his great novelist eye for plot, and then his great wit and his wisdom comes through. Um, he's also very committed to the idea that we need to renew tired language, and uh, certainly theological language has got a couple centuries of use, 
uh, Christian language, at least a couple, I mean, a couple millennia of use. Um, and so there's a lot of words that need to be renewed and our understanding of them renewed. So he, he takes things and looks at them in fresh ways. Uh, I also quote in the book, uh, this is a, about one of his novels called The Son of Laughter, which is a retelling of the book of Jacob. And in one of the reviews, a great writer, Andy Dillard, said um, something about that he brings them to life. And yet another reviewer said, it's not, that's not the right thing to say, because he doesn't bring the Bible to life. If, if I think Orthodox faith, we would say the Bible is living and active. But what Beekner does is that he, he brings it, he renews it, um, makes it fresh. Uh, so there's a lot there to like. And then he's just pithy. He has these little uh, lines that are zingers sometimes that, um, you know, you, you're working on a sermon. You, you tell me, Andy, but you're working on a sermon and it's on something. Let's say you want to talk about lust. And you're thinking, uh, well, what do I do here? And you look in one of Beekner's books and you find the, the line, lust is the craving for salt of a person who's dying of thirst. And you say, oh, that'll work. That'll, that'll preach. Or you're preaching on envy and you read the line, envy is the consuming desire to have everyone else as unsuccessful as you are. You think, hey, that'll work too. So I don't know, what, what is it for you? I don't know. It's the sensibility um, behind um, his words, the way he's able to address, especially um, the parables and stories of Jesus. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, just tracking uh, uh, the secrets in the dark, beyond words, longing for home, um, the clown and the belfry. Those seem to be some of the places that I took quotes from him the most. Um, mm -hmm. You know, he has a general, um, just a, a depth of compassion for people that you sense in his words. You know, uh, other writers that are contemporaries of his, but not necessarily from the same genre, his theological approach are very abrasive. Um, yeah. Almost, almost judgmental in the way they come across talking about people and human brokenness. Um, but he's he's there with Nowen for me as the most relatable, uh, the most spiritual, the most compassionate. Um, mm. You know, and, and as far as understanding the dynamics of humanity and faith and who Jesus is and is inviting us to become. Mm. I just want to ex expound on that for a second, Andy, and say that um, he says all theology is autobiography and that uh, every doctrine started as an experience so this commitment to listening as he, as he has phrased it listening to our lives listen to your life is one of his great quotes um, that if things make sense if god speaks at all he speaks into our personal lives and when i think about other famous Christian writers, and I, I won't name their names, but I've got some in mind. Um, we don't know a thing about their actual lives and their, their personal lives. They just have written um, books of propositional truth and lay it out there for you. And some of them are very popular and some of them have spoken greatly to lots of people. I don't want to downplay that. 
But with Beekner, there's this authenticity that runs through everything. Who he is comes across on the page, and it's out of his own experience and out of how this has been true in my in my life. One of the things that he writes about frequently, a theme that he returns to over and over again, is that proof, proof of God's existence is not so much the miracle we're after as much as it is the experience of God's presence. And that's what that's what comes through. And then one last thing I would say is that he, when he taught at Exeter um, and he was the school chaplain, he had all these kids that defined themselves as negos. They said that they were negative about everything. This is the late 50s, early 60s, civil rights era, Vietnam War. Uh, there were a lot of disenchanted people, young people in our culture at that point. And they distrusted authority. They distrusted the school, they dis uh, especially the school minister and the required chapel. And yet they had, they were there. That's how he learned to preach. And he said that he would always imagine them sitting and see emblazoned on their foreheads this uh, three-word phrase of Karl Barthes from the Word of God and Word of Man. Is it true? Is it true? Could it possibly be true, this story that you're telling me about Jesus, about his life and his death and his resurrection? Is that true? And I think as a preacher, boy, if you go in every week and you think that's what people are coming in and that's a question that's on their, on their mind, uh, your sermons are going to speak at a deeper level. And if you can somehow not, not uh, narcissistically talk about yourself, but honestly talk about your own experience with God. Um, your own experience, maybe sometimes of the absence of God, if you would dare to do that, uh, that will ring true with the people that are there listening to you. And that's, that's something, a great gift, I think, that Beekner has given to the church over the past few decades. Let's talk about uh, Beekner as a, as a pastor. You wrote, the best pastoral answer in the face of an inexplicable tragedy isn't an answer at all is a presence, a notion Beekner returns repeated to repeatedly. What kind yeah. of pastor was Frederick? Um, you know, what were some of his shortcomings, his hard lessons he had to learn, and, and what yeah. were some of his successes? Yeah, well, he was, uh, you know, when he went to seminary, he was really stuck. I, I don't know if you know the story of his conversion. His conversion happened um, 1953, he published two novels. His first one was a great uh, success. His second one was a failure. And he was just stuck in life. And he, and he started going to church at uh, Madison Avenue Presbyterian Church, listening to George Buttrick preach. And one morning, Buttrick uh, compared Jesus's refusal to accept the crown that Satan offers him when he's tempted in the wilderness to the coronation of Queen Elizabeth II, which the world had just watched. And, um, and then Buttrick said, but again and again, in the hearts of believers, Jesus is crowned amid tears, amid confession and tears and with great laughter. And then when he said great laughter, Beekner said something happened inside of him. That was the moment of his coming to the Christian faith. And then he went to Buttrick a few days later and he said, uh, 
what do I do about this? And Buttrick said, um, well, you know, I can give you some books to read, some things like that. And Beekner said, no, I think I should do more. And by the end of that conversation, Beekner's saying, I want to go to seminary. I think I should go to seminary. And Buttrick's like, well, you know, we don't really encourage that. <laughs> you get converted and two days later, you, you want to go to seminary. Um, but by the end of the conversation, uh, Buttrick had put him in the car and they drove up uh, north in Manhattan up to where uh, Union Theological Seminary is and Beaker enrolled. So, but but what, what I want to come back to is that when he went to seminary, he couldn't decide if being a pastor or being a writer, which one was he going to do? And he saw them really as an either or proposition. And so then when he went into ministry and he took this job at Exeter, um, he, he didn't write. He, he would take, he took time off from uh, Union to write his third novel, and then he took time off from Exeter to write his fourth novel. Uh, so there was probably a nine-year period there that he didn't write. And then um, after that, began to realize that writing could be his ministry. So he doesn't have a lot of experience, pastoral experience. It's those, it's those years at Exeter leading those young people um, as their school minister and also teaching English to them. Never, he never had a church, um, although he, he did different stints preaching at different times at different places. Um, so, yeah, he's not, he's not somebody like, uh, uh, you know, you could draw a contrast with, say, uh, a Eugene Peterson for years and years and years was just in pastoral ministry um and eugene peterson is a is, a, is actually was a great fan of frederick Beekner's, but they don't have a similar experience that way in the book you have a section you know in a sense on um pastoral nature of his work um what would you say for for pastors is the greatest uh, pastoral lessons they can take away from Frederick? I think it's listen to your life and be open and honest in um, the ways that you talk about it and recognize that authenticity is what people are craving and what they want. And um, just beautiful, beautiful uh, message there to pay attention, I guess, is the other thing. Um, Pay attention to what's the, but I'm, I'm thinking of a poem by Mary Oliver, uh, Instructions for Living, Pay Attention, uh, Be Amazed, Tell Others About It. I think Beaker would, Beaker would uh, say amen to that. As you're researching and writing about this man, what surprised you the most? You know, one of the things that I recognized as I was reading this, and this is something I put in the book, and it's gotten some recognition from different people as well. Uh, I couldn't place him theologically. I, you know, in this polarized world that we're in, we want to put everybody into a category, right or left. And I say in the book, he's either the most conservative liberal ever or the most liberal conservative. And I actually say that his theology is Pentecostal. Not that he's speaking in tongues, but that he is so open to miracles and so open to the working of the Holy Spirit. So uh, this person who studied theology under Paul Tillich, who's as far left as somebody could be, 
um, is actually quite conservative in a lot of ways and, the, and, and very orthodox in a lot of ways. So he really defies description. And in the book, I say uh, that he's a man for our moment. Um, I don't know if it's paradox or if it's that he just transcends um, but calls us into mystery. Um, he writes so many different things like the book of Godric. There's this great, you know, Godric's last words are all's lost and all's found. It's paradox there. Uh, the, the high point in that book is a line that all the death that ever was set next to life would scarcely fill a cup. That's again, paradox. It's also mystery. Uh, it's an affirmation of life in the face of death. Um, yeah, all those things. What do you hope readers will gain from the book? What I want readers to do is to uh, read Beekner. I want my book to be an introduction. Um, you know, I'm at a seminary. We have uh, dozens and dozens of new students every year that uh, will say I, I, they may or may not. Sometimes they like I've heard this name or I went to Andy Hale's church and I've heard him quoted 50 times in the last year. So I'm familiar with his name. But then um, they haven't actually read anything by him. So I, I hope that this is a guide. When there's 40 books, uh, it's overwhelming to say, where do I start? What should I read? That's what I'm hoping is that people would want to read Beekner. So um, you've written this book on Beekner. I uh, alluded to a few of the books you're, you're working on. What do you want to tell us more about your upcoming projects? <laughs> Um, well, I wish that I had another one. My upcoming project right now is I continue to go everywhere I can to talk about this book. And um, I, I, I want Beekner to be as well known as possible. He was actually frustrated in his life that um, he never found the audience that he thought he should have. He always said he was too religious for secular readers and too secular for religious readers. I, I hope that there's a wider appreciation of him. And then I, there's other people I love, other projects I'd like to work on in the future, but I don't have one of those that's really um, happening at the moment as much as uh, continuing to talk about what who Beaker is. I continue to write my little poems and put them out there for the world, but uh, we'll, we'll see what happens with that. Well, if you've got an important job, um, if you'll be the vice you know, or maybe executive vice president of the Frederick Beekner uh, fan club, then, um, yeah, you know, I'll be, be like cool. the, uh, the secretary or the clerk of something. All right. Yeah. <laughs> that's awesome. Well, if you want to stay connected with Jeff, you can visit some of his work at westernsim.edu. Of course, go out and purchase reading Beekner wherever books are sold. Jeff, thank you for bolstering the work of one of the greatest pastors and theologians of our time. Oh, thank you, Andy. Thanks for the chance to talk with you today. Well, that's it. That's our conversation. Be sure to support our annual sponsors by visiting their websites at fuller.edu and healthychurch.org. Check out cbf.net for information about our church starters, field personnel, advocacy work, chaplains, and much more. Oh, and uh, one more thing. I don't think we've mentioned it on the podcast before, but visit cbf.net backslash podcast support 
for ways that you can contribute to the CBF podcast conversations and get some pretty cool stuff in return.